This is Further, a weekly show for the people of Harmony Bible Church, where we seek to revisit and expand on Sunday sermons with the goal of growing deeper in biblical truth that transforms our lives. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Welcome back to Further. I'm Brenton Grimm, and today I'm joined by Clay Baker and Matt Mitchell. Clay is our Burlington campus pastor, and Matt is the campus pastor in Fort Madison. If you missed their sermons from this past Sunday, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or our website. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, so this last Sunday, we were in Romans 1, 18 through 23, and, and talked about the way God has revealed himself through creation. Psalm 19 tells us that the mere existence of God's creation, though it doesn't use speech, communicates truth about the only true and living God. And Paul tells us in Romans that this knowledge is enough to leave us without an excuse for not honoring or giving thanks to him. So I'm going to start here. Matt, what is the scope of knowledge that's available to people through general revelation? Yeah, thanks, Brenton. So yeah, the scope of knowledge of God made available to all people, according to our passage from this week that uh, Pastor Clay preached at Danville and Burlington, and I had the privilege of doing that in Fort Madison. It comes down to God's uh, two attributes that the, our text talks about, his eternal power and his divine nature. And so verses 19 through 20, um, it says that God's plainly shown them to us, to all people, and they can be clearly perceived, and it's, the th- it's all things that have been made. And so if you think back to Genesis chapter 1, uh, everything God creates in the, you know, the creation account, um, the seas, the land, everything in them, plants, animals, mountains, uh, people, man and woman. And from that, we can tell that undoubtedly this points to that there's a benevolent creator who is very powerful and uh, he's set apart from the rest of his creation. So in your sermon, you brought up uh, two terms. There's one general revelation, and then the second one was special revelation. What, what What's the difference between those, and what do you mean by that? Yeah, so general revelation is just, uh, it's available to all people. It is the general way that God can be seen in all of creation, and it's exactly what I just described. All things have been made. You look out um, at the universe, and that's just this general uh way that God has revealed himself. And then special revelation is specific ways that God intervenes and breaks into the time-space universe and shows himself in a special way. So think about the Old Testament, dreams, visions, prophets. Um, Like a great example right in front of me, uh, I have my Bible, so that's an example of special revelation. And then the most important example of that is uh, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And um, so that's uh, th- those the two difference between those two. Yeah, and that and that's part of our mission as Christians, right? Is to get um, the special revelation to people that don't have it. Yes, absolutely. Get the special revelation into the the places where they only have the general. Great, Clay. Maybe I'll address this one to you. Um, we talk a lot about 
God's wrath. Um, and this, this is really where it's going to start. Um, but how do we reconcile God's love? Um, I mean, we, we see him as, as love itself. How do we reconcile that with, with wrath being poured out on, and maybe I'll get a little specific on people who some may consider innocent. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I just think it's really helpful for us not to compartmentalize these things as it pertains to God. So it's easy for us in our finite human understandings to think about love and have ideas uh, about what love is. And then we can also think about justice uh, or wrath and what that is, what that means. But we perhaps have a tendency to separate those things or think about them separately when we need to remember that God is both loving and he is just at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these aren't, um, uh, these aren't things that are separate within God. He, it is true of God in his entirety that he is love and he is justice. And you know, as I mentioned in my sermon, God's wrath is an essential part of justice. Um, if you're going to, um, you know, I think we all, we all want uh, justice to be done. We all want wrongs to be made right. We felt that. We've experienced that in our lives when anybody has hurt us or wronged us. We instinctively want that to be made right, and I think that's good. I think that's from the Lord in a way that we are um, reflecting of Him as as His image bearers. Um, you know, one thing we'll learn though in Romans later on is that it's it's God's uh, to avenge. He's the one um, that institutes justice and and pours out wrath, not us, but that's for another uh, conversation. But I think, you know, getting back to the question, we we instinctively want and uh, hold on to uh, God as a loving God. Uh, I think we can also instinctively, though, uh, grasp onto God as a, as a just God. And so we need to understand that wrath is a part of that. He's both loving and he's just and those things are, those things are both true. And as I mentioned in the sermon, those things really come together in the cross. Um, that's how we can make sense of both of them. That's how um, it can be. It can be okay and right and good uh, for God for God to be wrathful because we see that His wrath was was poured out on His Son Jesus, and He did that in love, in love for us. And so we'll see that at the end of Romans chapter three. But uh, it's it's that. Uh, God, uh, God's pouring out of wrath uh, upon his son Jesus on the cross that allows him to be uh, both just, this is verse 26 of Romans 3, both just and the justifier, the one who makes us right with him uh, in Christ. And in that way, we yeah. see both his wrath and his love. Yeah, that's good. I think I think though I, I maybe didn't answer. I know that was a long I was long winded there, but you had a part about uh, what about people that are innocent? Yeah, or thought I, of as innocent. Yeah, so I mean this would this would relate back to people that maybe don't have access to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that's a that's a common objection to even the Christian faith is all these people are just going to hell because they've never heard. How is that fair? Yeah, it, it, it's really heart wrenching, and I and I just I hope. I hope, though, that we we see it clearly and, and that the Lord enables us to see the truth from his word, uh, and then we think about it rightly. And so 
I think it is right and good to be heartbroken over those who don't have access to the gospel, uh, to be saddened by the thought that they are under uh, the wrath of God, that the wrath of God remains on them, as Jesus said in John chapter 3. Um, but we, we, need to, we need to hold fast, hold firm to the truths of God's word, and then respond to those truths uh, that, that we read about in our passage that really... Mm-hmm. Uh, Everyone does know. There really is no innocent person. Everyone does have some knowledge of God, enough knowledge to reject him, even if that's not enough knowledge uh, to be saved. But then our, re- our, our right response or reaction to that is then to feel all the more urgency to proclaim the gospel. And so instead of, instead of then um, disparaging God or wrongly accusing him of being unjust or unloving, we remember again just how loving he is that he, he solved the problem, the sin problem for us by pouring out his wrath on his very own son, which he didn't have to do. Mm-hmm. And so we remember that and we hold fast to that and we're, we're thankful for his grace that he's revealed himself specially to us who believe through his word, through the preaching of his word through Christ. And then we want to be compelled by that, compelled by our love, hopefully, for the lost to, to personally or you know, through the church and through the support of others, uh, wh- by whatever means, uh, we can get the gospel to those who need to, need to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when, when that objection comes up, I mean, it's, it's usually not uh, giving weight to God's holiness. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that we always <laughs> recognize... Um, how much weight that actually bears on us, mm-hmm. how holy God is. Um, and I think that we find ourselves in this question of fairness in America a lot, um, saying this isn't fair. But again, I mean, like like we've heard a lot, that the fair thing would be for all of us to go to hell. And so mm-hmm. um, it's by God's grace that, that any are saved. Yeah. Yeah, if I could just speak to that too, man's sinfulness uh, we have to see our, our own sinfulness, and if we don't, then we walk around kind of with a moral snobbery, like like why would we're so good, and these people that have never heard are so good, why would God, right. you know, condemn them? But if the, if there was these, you know, these morally upright, good people that have fulfilled the law, God wouldn't, you know, condemn them. But that's that's not what's true. And Romans one, two, and first part of three are going to show us that Isaiah fifty three. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Right, absolutely. And uh, that's why, yeah, this that's why um, this has been so important to me, and because I ask questions like that too from time to time, and have to be reminded of what God's word says about my own state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Clay, like you were saying, that that gives the church a, an imperative to go, to mm-hmm. go, um, and to to get the gospel into the places where it's not. So yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that that needs to be one thing that comes out of this. I think is is seeing the need and and fulfilling that. Yeah. Um, I think I'll pose both of you this one. What is what does Paul mean by who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? Is is this a conscious decision that people make? Clay's pointing to me that I need to answer this first. <laughs> well, you had you had the good uh, that's what you can't see there. illustration in your sermon about suppression. You the the fire pit yeah, lid. That's right. True, that's right. That's a good one. Yeah. So yeah, just um, yeah. The the word is to hold something down, to smother something, and so it's like uh, my friend's got a fire pit. You stick this lid over the top of it, and it just 
quenches the fire entirely and or if somebody put a cap on the top of a candle or something. And so um, through people's unrighteousness, they're holding down, they're suppressing the truth that they have. And so, yeah, I, I would say it's kind of a yes and no, uh, depending on how you look at it, but it's a for sure a yes. Our text says that mankind has made this terrible exchange, mm-hmm. uh, God's glory for images. And then we'll see in verses 24 to 25 that kind of bridge the two weeks here that says, you know, mankind has exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And uh, and then just the, the no part of that will get answered in Romans 5 where because of Adam's sin, we've all been born into sin, so we're just bent on our unrighteousness. And apart from God, that's that's what we'll always choose. Yeah, and people may not be thinking of it in these terms or the terms you presented, Brenton, as as in their disobedience or in their sin that they are actively, consciously suppressing the truth of God. But I think we can all relate to uh, actually suppressing the truth if we think about our own sin. I mean, when I sin, how easy it is for me or how quickly I go to some kind of defense or self-justification or rationalization of that, when really I, I think that is part, at least part, of what Paul's talking about in suppressing the truth. You know, we we all go our own way, and it's at some point or another, and over and over again, and it's not God's way, Yeah. and we all make excuses for that, justify ourselves for it, try to rationalize our behavior, and I, and I do believe that that is at least part of what's in view there when Paul's saying that we all suppress the truth. Yeah. Yeah, and I like how you brought that back to us, even as Christians, um, and I think that's kind of a disclaimer I wanted to put on this episode here is that we are not trying to look out on on society and say these people are um, are suppressing truth and sinful. No, we we take responsibility for this too. This is True. all of us without Christ, and so I wanted to make that clear there. Absolutely. Um, can you, you you talked about it earlier? Um, eternal power and divine nature. Um, that's something that's referred to um, by Paul here. Can you give us a definition of that, Matt? Yeah, so eternal power, I actually think that's a better, more simple definition than the one you'd find like in a theology textbook that would say God's omnipotent, which just means he's all-powerful, he's unlimited in his power, he's able to do anything. And uh, I I think about somebody who's uh, an earthly ruler and has some power, like a president who has four years of a term, but uh, that's finite. Uh, there's an end date, but the Lord has this eternal power and this eternal reign that will never end and um, has always existed. And then divine nature, that can kind of wrap up um, all the characteristics of God, but really it just comes down to God is not like us. He is holy. He's set apart. He's totally different than his uh, creation. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. All right, Clay, given Paul's assertion that everyone knows God and yet still rejects him, how should we, how should this change our approach to atheists who claim unbelief in God? Yeah, so an atheist, you know, actively, consciously believes that there is no God. And I think what Romans 1 does for us is it helps us understand what's really going on there. Um, So, you know, the atheist has concluded there is no God, but that doesn't mean that they don't have some awareness of God and haven't uh, consciously suppressed him in in his truth. And in fact, I would argue that 
they've probably done quite a bit more to suppress that truth. I, I, I think, you know, as I was as I was going over this sermon and, and delivering the sermon, I really do think a, an awareness of, of God, uh, that there is a God and that he's powerful and that, that he's God and I'm not, uh, that's what we're talking about, this eternal power and divine nature that we're all aware of. I think that comes pretty naturally, uh, pretty intuitively for most of us. Uh, kind of like that childlike faith that Jesus talks about. Um, you know, I, I think we can all relate to that, but somewhere along the way, and you know, probably starting somewhere in adulthood or as somebody gets older, they get exposed to other ideas or they they pursue other other lines of thinking, and and they have to actively, I think, convince themselves that there is no God. And I think I just think that would be harder. I think if you um, you know, because it's not it's it's not just nature, but I mean, nature's nature's a big one. But if you if you think about uh, physics or uh, math, uh, you know, there's just kind of the structure of, of of things, and there's an order behind everything. Uh, if you think about music and how music just makes sense, uh, and you don't even understand it, if you think about relationships of of love that you have and how that just feels right and good. Um, you know, there's just these universal things that are the backdrop of our existence, and they all cry out to to a power, a God who knows way more than I do, <laughs> knows mm-hmm. everything, and is way more powerful than I am, and is there. And I and I and so I'm just sad. I'm sad for the atheist. And I think what I learned from Romans one is they've actually done a lot of uh, mental gymnastics, so to speak, to convince themselves that there is no God. You know, that's that's interesting, Matt. You had the example of the uh, fire pit, but I was reading the commentary this week, and the example that he used was a spring. So you have you're, – you're trying to push down a spring, but that thing is always pushing back up at you. And mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. – that reminds me of what you're talking about here, that it's almost hard and you have to do some mental gymnastics to, to get around the, the obvious. Okay, this one I'm going to kind of pose to both of you. Um, you you both talked about um, idolatry in this, and I think it's very relevant to the passage. Um, Clay, you brought up specific things like achievement, entertainment, and image. Um, could you guys give some of your thoughts on how we might identify and start to root those out in our lives? Yeah, I mean, one way, I mean, to look at it positively as... Get, it kind of gets back to Brad Bigney's definition. I mentioned Bigney's book, Gospel Treason, in my sermon. You know, he defines an idol as anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, or affections uh, more than God. So the positive perspective being, like, what are you worshiping? What is your mind? What is your heart going after um, that isn't God? But from a negative perspective, to to get at the same thing, identifying the heart idol at work uh, you can think of it in terms of sin, uh, namely, like what are you willing to sin to get? What are you? What do you? What do you sin for? <laughs> uh, or when when you don't get something, uh, what causes you to sin? You know. So do you sin to get it, or do you sin when you don't get it? That's another way to identify a hard idol. And and just practically, I've heard uh, Chris Carr mentioned this in a sermon before. Uh, our emotions can be really good indicators of, of heart idols. He's used the analogy before about um, like a thermometer, like our, our emotions are a thermometer of where our heart is. Uh, they tell us the temperature. And so 
it's it's just a good practice for me. Uh, I for me to ask myself in, in a moment, uh, what am I feeling right now? What like identify the emotion? For me, one example might be anger. <laughs> okay, what am I feeling right now? I'm feeling angry. Interesting. Why? And then ask myself, why am I feeling angry? Uh, that's another way of saying why am I sinning in this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and as I ask myself those simple but deep questions, uh, that's the beginning of rooting out the heart issue. Yeah, some of it's the, the practice of taking our emotions captive. We're not allowing um, our emotions to, to rule us. Yeah, emotion, I mean, emotions are not necessarily bad things. Uh, emotions are part of being human. And they can they can they can be a helpful gauge or thermometer of what's going on in our heart. But exactly, we don't we don't want to be uh, slaves to our emotions or you know in bondage to them. But we want to um, apply the gospel to them and uh, and let let Christ rule and reign in our hearts. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I were to add to that, I would just say I really agree with exactly what uh, Clay just said. And I think our tendency is to be moving too fast and not taking the space and the time to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, reveal to us those those mm-hmm. idols in our life. And so, just yeah. like like Clay said, walking through the, like what what are the, what are the emotions? What's driving me? What am I wanting? Um, and creating enough space for the Holy Spirit actually to lead us to the answer and back to God's Word and um, how God would desire for us to um, be walking in obedience and. Um, Praise the Lord that He gives us grace, and uh, He wants us to understand what those things are, so that we can uproot them, and uh, He can have uh, prominence as number one again, where only He deserves. Yeah. So just being intentional and vigilant against our idols, and paying attention to um, to what is captivating our hearts. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're gonna wrap up on this one, uh, and I'll, I want both of your thoughts on it. But um, thinking practically. Um, Verse 21 says that these these people did not honor God. Um, they did not give thanks to him as they should. What what does that look like uh, as as a Christian to honor God and give thanks to him? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll dive in and say that verse 22 is, has really stood out to me from this past week of preaching and then just... Um, application for my own life and how I think the, our congregation's kind of been responding. Even during the sermon, people knew uh, they resonate with this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And both Pastor Clay and myself mentioned Adam and Eve and how where everybody goes wrong and always has, and if it was us in the garden, we would have done the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. We, we claim to be wise in our own eyes. We have that pride that we know better than God. And um, that immediately turns us into a fool. And um, so that's the negative side of it. But uh, the positive would be uh, poor in spirit, like we learned about all through Sermon on the Mount, to be humble and just to, to recognize. That's what, that's what the text is just, you know, uh, screaming out to us is that there is an immortal God and uh, we have exchanged him for a bunch of cheap knockoffs. And uh, that's, that's yeah. I mean, how prideful is that? So just getting to that humble place that, oh my word, God, you're there, and life is about you. It's not about me. Um, you're ta- definitely taking a baby step in the right direction of pleasing the Lord. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, Brent, as you asked that question, how do, how do we honor God in our lives? I, I thought of Romans uh, 12, 1. And so this is, this is a real important uh, pivot point or the pivotal point, uh, pardon the pun, uh, in, in the letter where Paul shifts from uh, unfolding all the, the, this, this glorious doctrine related to the gospel, and then he starts getting really practical uh, for most of the rest of his letter. But Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And it's this idea that our bodies, and not just our physical bodies, but it's all of us, we are all, we are a living or we are to be a living sacrifice. And so I, I think like – I know something that's true of me when I think of like living for the Lord or honoring Him, I can so often get uh, surface level or behavioral uh, or compartmentalized to thinking about what my life looks like on a Sunday morning or having certain things that I do for – quote, unquote, for God in my service or in my devotions. And what Romans 12.1 reminds me of is that all of myself is to be a living sacrifice to God. So my, my, my mind, my body, my soul, my heart, everything about who I am belongs to him and should be for him. And this is in all parts of my life, you know, not just Sunday morning, but every day during the work day, during the after work hours, I belong to him. My life is for him, should be a living sacrifice that is honoring and pleasing to him. And, you know, Paul puts a lot of meat on those bones uh, in chapters 12, 13, and on, uh, so what we can get into some more specifics and what that looks like, but I think that's that's been a really helpful thing for me to understand and remember uh, that God wants all of me, and he wants all of me all the time. Yeah, yeah, we are not our own. Mm-hmm. We belong to God. That's great. All right, well, uh, thank you, Clay and Matt, for being here. Um, I appreciate uh, you coming here, and I also appreciate your your sermons from this weekend. So, um, guys, I hope this this episode has been helpful to you. Uh, again, I'll ask you if you do know someone that would benefit from the show, please share it with them. You can do it. Uh, you can share it by going to furtherpodcast.com, dot uh, com, and that would be appreciated. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Brenton. Thank Thanks, you. Brenton.